0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Adidas. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Thank you so much for joining me. And today we are talking about the proposed gun control laws that are working its way through Congress. I guess we're going to talk about it, but you know, whatever passes Congress. Let's ask what's going to be passed through executive order from our guest, Gabriella Hoffman, who is a freelance media strategist award-winning writer and townhall.com political columnist. She hosts the District of Conservation podcast and CFACT original video series, Conservation Nation, one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. And she's also a Young Voices regional leader. And Gabriella, you just got appointed as a senior fellow to the Independent Women's Forum, and I wanted to ask, what is that? Can you tell us a little bit about that before we get started?
1: Absolutely. And thank you for having me. We've been connected a long time now. It's good. to Yeah. Rem-
0: Our buddy Remzo always says, oh, you should talk to Gabriella and uh, over at on the run. So make sure you check out his podcasts with you. They're all great.
1: Yes, Yeah. Remzo is a good friend and a former client. I helped him become a bestseller on Amazon. He th- likes to think that I had a big part of that. It was just a strike of luck. We got him featured on Daily Wire that was shared by Ben Shapiro. He had a good book at the time, of course, uh, Stay Away from the Libertarians. And uh, kind of a nod to the Liberty movement, and it did really well. So I was really help. I was really grateful that I was able to help him. But to your question about my position, so much like my work with Young Voices, I work with Independent Women's Forum. So they're a 30 year plus organization. They cater to independent women, whether you're conservative, libertarian, center right, or you just don't like kind of or um, homogenous type of thinking, especially on the left, and you kind of are contrarian. So it welcomes all women's perspectives and we cater to women. I specifically focus on economics with respect to labor issues, also environmental and conservation issues. And I just adopted ESG and cryptocurrency as part of my portfolio. So you'll see your listeners, if they have followed my work or if they are going to learn about my work more, they will see my coverage on those two additional issues as well throughout the course of my senior fellowship with them, but I just finished out a year with them where I was focusing a lot on different issues, published a policy paper. I have been able to inject a lot to the conversation on kind of underreported subjects in public policy. So covering the gamut, I, I focus on these issues as well on young voices and have been trying to give voice to the second amendment more so with young voices and also conservation issues and other economic issues that you often find me cover on IWF, but it's a great organization. Definitely encourage your female listeners to check it out, even your male listeners. We have great content, great commentators, senior fellows, policy analysts, and other staff. So I can't recommend them enough, and I'm grateful to continue on with them.
0: Yeah, so make sure you check that out. Um, now, the tragedy in Evolve hit me pretty hard. I've got a stepdaughter that's three and, you know, it just sort of gives new perspective once you have a kid in your house and you realize the center of your family's world is a, is a kid. and so to see young kids and and just to hear the stories i think i don't I, I just don't know anybody in the country that wasn't truly affected by that. so i guess talking to somebody who is a staunch second amendment uh, person like yourself do you understand why people kind of leap to gun control as the first solution? What's your reaction to that? I mean, I kind of find a, a lot of it like if you're going day of, man, that's really ghoulish uh, to on to, <laughs> day of. But I sort of get why people do it. But what, what's your reaction when we do have a tragedy like this?
1: You're absolutely correct. I don't know anyone who was celebrating this horrific shooting, especially in the firearms industry, nobody in the industry, from what I gather and from my conversations with people in the industry, nobody likes seeing their products used in evil acts like this. You talk to even just nominal gun owners. Nobody likes to see these products and tools that are used for protection abused by deranged lunatics, people who shouldn't have guns. And to your point about how soon you should comment, I think whether you are in support of gun control or not supportive of gun control, I think you need to let the families heal. I think it's insensitive if you rush to say, well, this is going to fix your problem right as the blood has been shed, as the tears have been dropped. And as people are reeling in from this new reality of losing a child, I haven't thankfully experienced anything of that sort. I don't really talk about this as much, but my sister survived an attempted mass shooting at a social conservative nonprofit in DC about 10 years ago. And that event actually impacted uh, me, especially her too. And my family decided, my family and I decided in response to that, that we would purchase guns. I think you can find multiple reactions to attempted mass shootings, mass shootings and such, and you'll see different reactions. Some people rush immediately to support gun control. You'll see others say, actually, no, I don't think this is a good solution. But I think as a general rule, you have to let families victims heal you have to let them adjust to this new reality and some victims families will say yes gun control is the solution others will say no let's not rush to this we need time to grieve we need to do this like you said i think it is ghoulish behavior to see people rush to this when we don't know what was the cause how did this perpetrator what was his intent why was he committing the crimes was he a prohibited possessor was he someone who shouldn't have guns so a lot of questions arise whenever these mass shootings happen. Oftentimes these killers are on people's radars. This guy was on police radar. And also I think people can also be alarmed, if not more so alarmed by the fact that the response to the shooting was quite pathetic by law enforcement. <laughs>
0: That's I an understatement. <laughs> yeah, which to, to your point, just to to piggyback on that, you look at El Paso and how he wasn't added to the to the no buy list for firearms. You look at the FBI failing with Charleston, like so often you see law enforcement and the gun control mechanisms that we already have in place failing. And it, it just doesn't engender a lot of confidence that we can give up more like our own security to people who just so often fail. And, and why do more when you're not doing the, the bare minimum right?
1: I often say and tweet that gun control policies are not enforced against the perpetrators who are committing these egregious acts of violence involving guns. It's usually the law abiding who are penalized. You don't see an enforcement of these laws, usually against these perpetrators. We see in many cities where gun control policies are very, very strict. It's very hard to obtain guns legally. You see a lot of perpetrators are, release, are released early, immediately after committing the crime, or they're released early on bail, or maybe they get a light lenient sentence from prosecutors or DAs. And so people have to wonder if, whether it's law enforcement not going in and stopping a mass shooting as it's happening, or whether it is these prosecutors or DAs who are letting these people out early from jail, people who are prohibited possessors of people who are committing violent acts of crime involving guns. I think the American people won't have trust in supporting gun control. And you see time and time again with each month, The National Shooting Sports Foundation always sends me emails or keeps reporters like myself updated with statistics on background checks through the NICS system and gun purchases. And every year or every month, excuse me, since the pandemic had started to unfold, you see a historic number of background checks processed, guns purchased legally, and more and more people, especially from diverse backgrounds, purchasing firearms, going through the background check system because they see that law enforcement's not reliable in many cases, or they can't rush to their defense. It takes eight to 10 minutes maybe for law enforcement to come to your house. And your life and, and moments between life and death matter within a minute or seconds. And so people realize they have to sometimes put uh, the situation into their own hands. They can't rely on law enforcement if it comes to those mere seconds between life and death. And mass shootings, again, bring about these conversations about gun control and maybe hardening schools and, and different policies Um, And I think where you can bring people together is not so much creating more laws. We have a lot of laws. Actually, someone pointed out to me recently that there's, I don't know if it's scientific, but there is kind of an anecdotal argument to say that with each year as more laws that make it harder for people to obtain farms have been introduced, crime has gone up. A lot of people say that 50, 60 years ago, people used to bring guns to school if they're going hunting or they're doing a shooting sports club and mass shootings were not common. They were quite rare events if they ever happened back then. And so people attribute it to other factors explaining why these mass shootings are happening. I think something came out today in an article that said that these are would-be suicidal individuals who are committing these acts in the public and that more mental health measures have to be addressed. But yeah, there there is a lot of definitely heated rhetoric out there. A lot of people simply want to say banning guns is the solution. But if you look to see in cities where crime has spiked or in states where there are more vulnerable people to different types of violent attacks involving assailants using guns. It's largely in areas where there's lots of gun control. Uh, and like uh, to, I said to, earlier, to, I have been, um, prosecuted.
0: yeah, I've been amazed kind of, we moved downtown sort of, I'm within a 20 minute block of the circle of Indianapolis. It's a very, um, Mixed neighborhood, pick your demographic factor, race, age, color, creed, religion, right? And I'm amazed at the amount of gun ownership here. Um, The, you know, the white libertarian couple are playing catch up. (laughs) You know, like it's so I, I feel like we have just this this culture war kind of dividing line as if, you know, only rural conservatives wearing MAGA hats own guns. And that has not been my experience living here over the last few months and having conversations with my neighbors and kind of understanding their perspective. And, yeah, you know what it comes down to is the police aren't really going to do anything for you because they've lived here for 20 years. They know um, which kind of makes you think, uh, um, you know, but it's the same in rural areas. Right. Like they're, they're not going to be able to get out to you very quickly. So, yeah, I think gun ownership for personal protection I think I've definitely seen that spike anecdotally in my life, but that's not what we're talking about, Gabriella. We're talking about weapons of war with uh, lungs being punctured by nine millimeters, just blown to bits. Matthew McConaughey today, you know, saying only shoes were the way that they were identifying victims, which I have no idea if he's telling the truth or not. It's it really watching Matthew McConaughey, an actor, talk from the press podium at the white house was unmoving to me and theatrical as opposed to influential um you you you're big you're big into conservation and hunting and fishing and uh have experience with guns that i just don't have to be to be quite frank so when i see some of these over the top things said i'm probably like most people i go wow you can blow somebody's lung out with an AR-15. Like, how do you how do you hear that?
1: You talk to most people, whether they're recreationally shooting or hunting. And I want to preface this and and remind your listeners that the Second Amendment is not about hunting, like we hear the president claim. There is a connection, however, through funding, conservation funding, where mostly guns and ammunition, the excise taxes collected, do go to conservation efforts. That's the only connection. But the Second Amendment is not a guarantee of hunting. There's also a separate right to hunt amendments passed through individual state constitutions. that safeguard your right to hunt. But those are two separate topics. But having some familiarity, and I don't get to go outdoors or more so recreationally shoot as much as I'd like to, but in the better part of the decade I've been covering this beat, I've immersed myself in shooting sports. I have gone to different events across the years. In the last few years, I've gone to media events where different gun manufacturers invite me to come test their products. I went to one such thing with BPI outdoors, which owns several companies, CVA muzzle loaders, and also a few other brands as well. And I got to test guns for myself and they were telling me that the air 15, when you're shooting with that, it's not really as dangerous as people like to paint it to be a modern sporting rifle. Like that is not as comparable to let's say a true assault rifle, a fully automatic a weapon that is used in war. It actually is pretty safe for civilian use. And so when you see NPR say, well, it'll explode your lungs. I've never heard anyone tell me when we're talking ballistics. I mean, when you're target shooting, you're not talking about trying to aim people for the most part, unless you're doing a self-defense course where you have to prepare for kind of like situational awareness. But if you're just recreationally shooting, people will just talk on the offhand about how powerful ballistics wise, let's say a nine millimeter or a 203 round or a 308 round is, or a 238 round, excuse me. And they'll tell you when it enters, it may be bigger, but when, let's say you have an exit wound and you're comparing between the two, let's say President Biden talked about a 9 millimeter, which is used in most handguns. The exit wound is really small in comparison. I think a 10 millimeter is a lot more powerful, and I've used a 10 millimeter bullet, I think, for the deer I harvested in Wyoming a few years ago, and that had a pretty big exit wound. And then the 45 caliber uh, bullet is often one of the biggest exit wounds when you're assessing that, uh, whether you're target shooting or uh, doing similar activities, but you probably only want to do that for target shooting. But I've used the 10 millimeter and it's pretty close to the 45 millimeter. I saw a chart recently about that. So people don't account for entry wounds and exit wounds. What you see in terms of diameter when you're target shooting, you could see how big Uh, These bullets are when you're shooting, and also if you're hunting as well, and see the impact they have. So, I have never heard anyone say that your organs are going to (laughs) liquefy using Air 15 rounds, of whether it's a 308 or a a 238 or anything of that similar kind of diameter. You're not going to see that impact. So, it's highly debatable among how powerful these ammunition rounds are when you talk to industry experts. But when you see categorizations like this from NPR, it goes to show that they have no familiarity. They've never shot them before. They don't talk to people who are often around ammunition and can deduce and tell you what those rounds are, how powerful they are, their impact. If it were to be uh, directed at a human or even an animal, if you're harvesting an animal while hunting. So they come about it from kind of this really, really naive perspective and they're creating more dangerous rhetoric when they're putting this misinformation out. When they're putting these lofty descriptors out.
0: So, speaking from a place of you know NPR-based information here, right? Like, what is an AR-15? Because I, I get the I get messages of like this is a really extraordinarily dangerous weapon. And then you know in the libertarian world, I'm like, oh, well, this rifle doesn't look as scary. As this air, like, can you kind of explain to somebody who doesn't know anything about guns what is the AR 15? Why has that just become like the center of the ire for for Democratic policymakers?
1: It's an easy scapegoat given the aesthetics. It's a scary looking gun to the untrained eye. It looks very militaristic uh, if you have no familiarity with it. So, on the surface, it can be an intimidating gun to be around or to use if you have no familiarity with it. But the AR-15 does not stand for assault rifle. It stands for Armour Light Rifle. And the Armour Light Rifle platform was first developed in 1954. Some people say it was a gun of the Nazis that is wholly inaccurate. The company started eight years, nine years after World War II ended. So it has nothing to do with Nazi Germany whatsoever. It's an American gun. And it's some people say it's comparable to the AK-47. It's actually a much better gun than the AK-47 if you do a comparison, compare and contrast between the two. And it's evolved into a civilian firearm to own for home defense, uh, sometimes to use in hunting. Depends on your state. I don't think most states recognize or welcome you to use air platforms. I don't think in Virginia we are allowed to use air platforms when hunting. But in Wyoming, you're allowed to use an air platform.
0: When you say platform, what do you mean? Because I think like...
1: The model. Okay. An air model. Um, So that's what it is. The platform model. Kind of think of those interchangeably. But um, in Wyoming, you can use an AR platform to go hunting. I did when I got my deer there a few years ago. And so, um, it, like I said, it has a very scary appearance if you have no familiarity with it. But in terms of the mechanics of it, when you're shooting the gun, for the most part, let's say you pull the trigger, you're going to get one bullet out of your chamber coming from the gun into your target versus, let's say, fully automatic, where if you're pulling the trigger, you're getting... A flurry of ammunition coming out. So that's the difference between, let's say, a fully automatic and a semi-automatic, which is what AR-15s are, the latter of which. And people, like I said, the aesthetics scare people. The People like to portray it in a negative light. And people say, well, this proliferation of AR-15s from 400,000 to over 20 million is so dangerous and it's so used heavily in crime. And you look at FBI statistics about criminal usage of guns, it's actually handguns that are the most commonly used firearm Despite the, let's say, more, let's say, coverage wielded towards air 15s in coverage about mass shootings, you start to see them being used in mass shootings, but they're not the most commonly used weapon. I think after handguns and knives even, air 15 or rifle platforms like the AR are used. So they're not as heavily used in crime, but the media likes to fixate, unfortunately, on their usage without painting the full picture of what guns are used. However, even though, let's say, the handgun is used commonly, I don't think that's a justification to ban it. But it's very interesting that it is singled out. It is scapegoated because people just don't know the mechanics of the gun. They've never shot it. It actually is a very useful firearm. I like it better sometimes than handgun shooting if I'm recreationally shooting. It prevents recoil. It's very easy to handle for the most part. Women, believe it or not, it was an article nine years ago, a lot of news outlets were saying that women preferred the AR platform for home defense. It's a popular choice among women. It's a popular choice among men. It's even a popular choice among minority gun owners. More and more people all across the board, kind of your untraditional gun owners, are starting to buy platforms like this, not just getting a handgun. They're also getting rifles, such as an AR platform, to add to their repertoire because They feel secure in having it. Maybe it's more powerful in their mind. Maybe they like it. They like the shooting experience with it. I think Americans who are lawful and are not prohibited from legally owning guns can choose to have either a handgun, air platform, or hunting rifle, whatever they're choosing. And I think there's going to be a greater understanding as more and more people buy it. But I don't think any gun law or gun control legislation that would prohibit it would deter people from wanting to buy it like we see In many, many things, in many areas, I think prohibition of different things leads people to want to desire to get it. I know that's a common refrain in libertarian circles. Libertarians often talk about, let's say, the war on drugs or the war on poverty and different measures that the government puts in place to make things worse or to prohibit certain things, much like with their quest to want to pursue a war on guns here. In this example, uh, prohibition, let's say with alcohol as well. It made people drink under the table. It didn't stop people from drinking, and that law thankfully was overturned. But similarly with guns, if you ban the air platform, there's going to be an increased desire to get it, whether or not these regulators like it or not. So, creating this kind of, uh, let's say, fanfare attached to them is going to make people w- curious about them—not criminals per se, but law-abiding folks who are going to be curious about, is this really as scary as everyone is making out to be? Is this a useful gun? Is it good for home defense? Is it good for hunting? Is it good just to have a recreational shooting? I'm going to be curious about it. And I think, like I said, you're seeing more and more people across the years buying AR platforms because they see it is a effective tool in many, many ways, and that it's not as scary or as dangerous, ballistics-wise and also mechanics-wise as the media makes it out to be. So that's kind of a long-winded <laughs> response to your question.
0: Yeah, so but- I you know, I was talking to somebody and kind of to piggyback off of that, they said, well, "Listen, there's, you know, like when Australia confiscated all their guns, they had like 300,000 guns. I mean, it was nothing compared to our starting point of like 400 million, 500 million guns." Um so they acknowledge that you just you can't have a bunch of little wacos going around trying to confiscate all those weapons but let's just stop selling them like at some point gabriella you need to be honest that the the problem is the guns we have more guns gun violence here than anywhere else so let's just stop the sell selling of guns whatever's made is made just put a 10 year moratorium on it what do you say to that
1: i think that type of thinking can be easily refuted someone i think a um, statistician statistician excuse me recently compiled data comparing the United States with other countries where gun prohibitions are very common versus the United States. And he was able to pull together information that even though we own the largest arsenal of personal defense firearms, the United States only accounts for about four, 5% of crime globally, even with our large gun owning populace. And he did a cross comparative analysis between different countries where there was more gun control and they had actually sometimes more instances of violent crime. There were just different tools used in lieu of guns and gun crimes still, or crimes involving guns can still occur even in areas where there are great prohibitions. But oftentimes people see that, well, okay, there's this correlation between the proliferation of lawful gun ownership and higher crime. And if you look at, let's say, Authorities like the Rand Corporation. People people often say, even beyond let's say gun ownership, they say concealed carry is going to lead to higher instances of crime. You look at the Rand Corporation, which is a pretty serious outlet, pretty mainstream, in their reporting on whether or not crime increases with the introduction of concealed carry, concealed carry, excuse me, legislation, or your ability to conceal carry. Um, and I think they're going to do some studies about permitless carry coming up soon with half of the country now adopting that type of policy, they found that there was inconclusive results about whether or not crime increased under these type of loosening of restrictions. So they said that it was very limited, or it had no conclusive effect. But if you compile different studies, the United States, like I said, is not the largest, let's say, trafficker of violent crime, you have different countries in Africa, South America, even parts of Europe that are even more dangerous than us. But Australia doesn't have a second amendment. So they come about it from a different vein that America's so wild and it's the wild West and there's no accountability and crime is rampant, but they can have other things. They have the most poisonous snakes in the whole country. So people probably die by snake bite or people are attacked by other types of weapons too, not just guns. So Australia to me seems very dangerous because they don't have a handle on poisonous Snakes. (laughs) Snakes.
0: <laughs> Another right. Question. So you're saying it's not. It's just the their perception that this argument, but that perception is now starting to float into America and that we we are a more dangerous society because of our militarism, because of our gun ownership, than other societies. I mean, is that an accurate statistic? I mean, I see it out there, but it doesn't mean I trust statistics. I mean, I just <laughs> like they can all be manipulated so
1: easily. I mean, look at the funding of the different people who commissioned these studies. Most of them do get backing from gun control lobbies and and the gun control organizations. So they obviously reach a conclusion. What's really lamentable was there was a great Harvard University survey that they said was not scientifically peered, but it was released in 2007. And it actually found a correlation between high instances of lawful gun ownership and a correlation with lower crime, kind of the inverse relation. And they found that in societies, especially the former Soviet Union, where my family is from, in communist China and other areas where it was collectivist and centrally planned, where there was no lawful gun ownership, gun ownership was banned and prohibited. They found that higher instances of crime were very common in those societies. But unfortunately, Harvard deleted that after blowback from gun control supporters. But it was a phenomenal study that was pretty fair, um, even though it did come from a more pro-Second Amendment, pro-gun perspective, but it did lay out the facts really well. And I think Dr. John Lott uh, lays this out very well and very clearly in his different examinations and surveys and studies that he conducts as well. Um, When comparing violent crime between the United States and other countries, he's taken a look and I think he was responsible or one of the co-authors of that study. But there have been studies put out that have unfortunately been deleted, but I think more and more studies will be commissioned pointing to an inverse relationship between lawful gun ownership, the high prevalence of law or legal gun ownership and lower instances of crime. And you often hear the refrain, more guns, less crime, which is very true in many, many places. Here in Virginia, I live in the D.C. metro area, and I can even anecdotally observe from just living here, even though crime has gone up in the metro area a lot, Virginia is a lot safer compared to D.C. and Maryland, in my opinion, and from what crime statistics have been revealed Virginia has the friendliest gun laws or the most, let's say, liberal gun laws when it comes to obtaining firearms. You can obtain a handgun pretty easily if you have no criminal record. You can get a CHP, a concealed handgun permit. Uh, You can open carry in certain parts of Virginia. I think actually you can open carry in the state, but they don't want you to carry, uh, obviously, in government buildings. They've removed the state preemption law. We may get that state preemption law back. But Virginia has pretty gun-friendly laws compared to much of the eastern seaboard when you go north towards the northeast, where probably the last gun haven or pro-second amendment haven as you start to go across the Potomac. Um, but you see that in many, many states. Texas is a lot safer, let's say, compared to California. Florida is a lot safer compared to Chicago and Illinois. And so you will start to see the argument made kind of in this vein of more gunsless crime in red states that have more liberal gun legislation. In effect, you're going to see violent crime a lot, lot more scarce uh, compared to blue cities or blue states.
0: So I'm just, you know, I can hear the thoughts. It sounds like she wants to do nothing to solve this problem. What do you say to like? Because I've seen that online. They, if you just want nothing to happen, no solutions. Talk to the to the Republicans and the Libertarians. Hmm. Is that the case?
1: No, I think you see an appetite for wanting to prevent mass shootings from Republicans, conservatives, libertarians, what have you, people on the center right. But it doesn't mean calling for restrictions on lawful gun ownership. You have to look at, and I think many people don't want to see this happen again. I think most people want these mass shootings to be prevented. Personally speaking, I would love to see these prevented, especially if these assailants are identified much earlier. Not so much in the form of a red flag law. Those have a lot of fourth amendment concerns awarded towards them. And people should debate that, but they can also see a lot of the holes in the argument with proposing that federally and even sometimes in the States. But I think more practical solutions would be wanting to harden schools. So schools are not targets. Schools are also gun-free zones. So these assailants, maniacal assailants will go there because kids are soft targets. It's a gun-free zone. So they know that these people are defenseless because there's none of these protections, unless there is a campus SRO who is armed and properly trained to stop a potential assailant. So I think hardening schools can be easily agreed upon, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, conservative or progressive. But unfortunately, there's no appetite among many on the left to support that type of solution. I think also there's a lot of, let's say, agreement over improving the background check system. Doesn't mean creating universal background checks. It means making sure the FBI and others who are tasked with Determining if someone is a prohibited possessor, actually doing their job and not missing any pertinent information that can be transmitted to a gun shop to bar someone who potentially should be restricted, not invoking a red flag law, but actually filling the gaps in the background check system. So someone who is not prohibited is not being sold a gun. And you don't need a regulation, it just is a matter of these law enforcement agencies actually doing their job to better identify potential assailants. Yeah, that's the well, thing
0: that, that makes me crazy is that the, the local law enforcement knows these people, but then the local gun shop sells them. Who was the gun shop selling the guy the weapon? And who is the local police department dropping the ball? In the, like, And, you know, this kid didn't have a lot of family to call anybody, right? But yeah, that that's what I don't understand is why he was able to buy the gun. I would just think that in my experience and my limited experience with gun owners, they do take this stuff really seriously. So, you know, the, how, how can we close that gap where somebody like this cannot go in and buy a gun? But I also recognize like, there's not going to be a total solution to this. And if you had, if you had a, a gun registration, for instance, there's always going to be problems with that. And there's obviously privacy concerns with it too. So, I mean, how, how do you close that gap? I mean, that to me seems to be like the most important thing is loan by local law enforcement yet can buy a gun.
1: We hear this. You've heard the expression, if you see something, say something. If people actually lived up to that motto, maybe some of these people can be identified. We saw in the Parkland shooting, for instance, the assailant was on law enforcement's radar. He had, I don't know, 40 some odd different visits by law enforcement. He made threats online. He was a clear, incredible threat. And there were also problems with, let's say, the educational system. He had gone through or kind of been looked over through, what was it, Obama's Promise Program. And a lot of educators kind of passed on him they didn't notice anything some people reported he exhibited some warning signs but they kind of turned a blind eye and they transferred him to different schools they didn't take care of the problem they didn't discipline him they didn't get him the help he needed and it evolved into a horrific situation where he murdered lots of students and hopefully he's going to be punished to the fullest extent of the law for his evil acts that he committed but he was on people's radars and i i know two of the parkland fathers who are for the second amendment and you hear them and, and you, you hear what they want to be done. They don't want gun control. They want schools to be hardened. They want these perpetrators to be identified a lot easier so that they don't lose children in the future and that others don't lose children like they did. And I think more people should look to them over, let's say celebrities like Matthew McConaughey who have no proximity to these horrors. It's understandable. He's very impassioned about his hometown, but he hasn't lived there in a long time. And I don't think going to the podium, At the White House, at a White House that is coming for calling for, excuse me, unreasonable gun policies, they're calling for uh, lifting immunity for gun manufacturers. Gun manufacturers can be held liable for their products being misused in certain instances. It's not a foolproof law. Biden says they're immune from from having their immunity challenged. Actually, that's not true. Um, Different legal experts have said there are like five or six cases or exemptions where they won't be protected uh, from such immunity claims. There's also different conversation about uh, wanting to ban semi-automatic handguns and rifles, ban everything semi-automatic. That's not reasonable. So if Matthew McConaughey wanted to genuinely appeal for common sense solutions, he wouldn't have gone to the White House podium, given where this agenda of the Biden administration lies currently. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot to tackle. People want solutions without restricting gun rights. And I think that's where we can head into without constantly going back and forth about infringing on people's rights. Unfortunately, a lot of people on the left don't see this. Maybe individual gun owners do, but law or uh, excuse me, elected members of Congress don't see that yet. I've talked about often with uh, Stephen Gutowski of the the Reload. He documents trends and he documents every Second Amendment or firearm story more aptly than I could and, and very, very astutely. And he's very sober in his analysis. He's one of the best people on this subject. And I asked him, I said, do you start to see, are you going to see, or are you observing, let's say a change in democratic politics moving away from gun control? Cause they're losing a lot of their supporters. A lot of people who are former Democrats or Democrats kind of teetering on maybe becoming centrist or libertarian. A lot of them have said they've lost faith in the party because they have adopted extreme positions. So it's not that Republicans don't, or conservatives don't want to work together to stop shootings we have different solutions we think you can solve these problems or help kind of ameliorate their frequency or make their frequency less common even though they are rare events i think people have to forget or people often forget that these are mass shootings are still statistically rare although media does amplify them and say that there's horrific mass shootings of the grandest scale um thankfully they're still rare events but the media likes to jump on the the horse wagon and
0: everything's a mass shooting they pad yes. the they they just print whatever every town says and pad the list as if every you know somebody gets shot in the shoulder and three people are standing nearby that's a mass shooting. You know, yeah, and they it's, don't go according it's it's, to it's their dishonest. Yeah, it's totally dishonest. Um, one final question uh, which was the whole reason I had you on but it's been so interesting to hear some of these perspectives. Um, what is being proposed in Congress and does any you know Joe Biden just this, we got to do something this time. We got to act this time. Uh, are they going to act this time? What is being proposed and what are realistic chances of anything passing?
1: What they're proposing on the outset right now is they want to raise the age to purchase an AR 15 from 18 to 21 because most rifles you can obtain when you're 18, handguns are when you are 21. So there's discussion about that. However, as we talked about before we went on the air, uh, House Republicans have said they will not vote to do that. They've also said they want to limit the rounds of magazines to 10 or more, no, no more than 10 rounds. You're not going to see Republicans support that, according to Steve Scalise, according to a report that's come out. So certainly because Democrats have control of the House, you'll see them pass measures by a thin margin, maybe a few Republicans like Adam Kinzinger and those who are not reliably For the Second Amendment, jump on board. When it comes to the Senate, you're not going to see those measures pass, especially if it's centered around abolishing the filibuster. We've heard Senator Joe Manchin, who's generally in support of the Second Amendment and gun rights, he said he's open to banning Air 15s. But if it came to abolishing the filibuster, I don't see him supporting abolishing the filibuster to achieve a ban on Air 15s. What he bills is an assault rifle, but it's not an assault rifle, as I explained earlier. So it may make some movement in the House. That's where we are in terms of makeup in Congress versus, you know, gun control advocates control the House of Representatives. It's kind of more divided in the Senate. But if we don't see anything in Congress, we may see some more directives that come from the White House. We may see more executive orders. Biden has said and put out executive orders and issued them saying that he wants to explore revoking immunity, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. He also wants to look to ban ghost gun kits, although the Nevada Supreme Court held that you can't ban so-called ghost guns because that violates uh, Commerce Clause and also your First Amendment right and Second Amendment right to do lawful commerce engaged in in kind of this space. So there is judicial precedent that said you can't ban ghost gun kits or so-called ghost gun or do-it-yourself gun kits uh, because it infringes upon a company's right to be able to make lawful products. So we will see a lot of this stuff if it is done by executive action, perhaps challenged in the courts. We're still awaiting the Supreme Court case in New York State Pistol Rifle Association versus Braun before the Supreme Court that will overturn the remaining May issue laws that prohibit most people in blue states from obtaining or not presenting a case as to why you have to own guns. So in shall issue states, as you know, Indiana is one of them. Virginia is also another. I mean, in uh, 42 states, you don't need to have a, clause to present as a reason for obtaining a firearm legally. So this court case will rectify, let's say, any gray area over whether or not um, you need to have a just cause for obtaining a firearm. Let's say your life is under danger. You don't need to say that your life is under danger. You could say, I just simply want one for protection purposes. You don't have to lay out the reason, much like you do in blue states and localities. So we have court cases. We may see some judicial action. We may see some executive orders be handed down. But with the midterms looming, I honestly don't see an appetite for gun control. We may see a lot on Twitter because Twitter is biased against the second amendment, unfortunately, but you look across the country and you talk to regular people and that is not a priority on most of their minds. They are very concerned about inflation. They're very concerned about baby formula shortages. They're very concerned about paying high premiums on gas prices. So there isn't, it's not a top issue to pass gun control, even in the event and wake of these horrific mass shootings. It's not on people's, like I said, see the shortcomings with law enforcement not being able to defend and, and fend off these different attacks by mass shooters. People are very concerned about not having their personal safety secure. And they see that gun control arguments don't work and gun control fails on its face. So people's priorities are not set on gun control, even though there's an appetite by this White House. And we'll see what, ha- what comes from Congress. I think the president will be stopped in Congress if Republicans or Second Amendment supporters take control uh, after November.
0: Well, I've got so much more I want to talk to you about, but we're going to end it there. I, you're you're big into conservation. You're a person who pivoted from uh, a lot of politics to just part time fifty fifty politics, as you said earlier. Um, tell tell people where they can follow you on on all your different work, and uh, you know, little shameless self promotion time, Gabriella.
1: Yes, I am on social media, very visible there. I have blue check marks on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Ugh, so
0: jealous. <laughs>
1: But I think I earned it, <laughs> unlike some of the journalists that just get handed it. <laughs> but I, I, I worked my tail off, um, I could say. But I'm one of the good blue checks. I'm not going to look down my nose, you know, and and smite people. I, I try to be a good informer. So I'm a good follow, hopefully. Uh, and I hope some of your listeners and, and followers see that. But talking about these different issues, I host the District of Conservation podcast, as you mentioned. I'm also with Young Voices, a regional leader, and I still am a contributor Uh, for another month, and I may continue with the advanced tracks, doing more commenting with them. I also, like I mentioned, a senior fellow with IWF. Great organization. You can follow my town hall column. My website is GabriellaHoffman.com. Find me on all those platforms, those mediums, and if you ever have any suggestions or you want to tell your story to all your listeners, I would be more than happy to take, let's say, offers or pitches to consideration. I always like to report on undercover or underreported subjects. So thank you for having me, Chris. It was nice to talk to you.
0: It was great to talk to you. And listeners, if you got something out of this, this was a great little summation, great conversation. Share it with your friends. That's the best thing you can do. Thank you to all of our patrons. And we appreciate your time, Gabriella. Thank you for being with us. And of
1: course, thank you for having me.
0: Listener, we thank you for your time and we'll see you again soon.